0: Is that me? Okay, sweet. Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Happy allergy season to you. Glad you guys are here. Oh man, it's been awful, I'm not going to lie. Um, if you haven't already, please open up to Genesis chapter 12. If you're using one of the Bibles you grabbed on the, by the doors of the theater entrance here, you're going to find that on page 6 of that book um, that you have in your hands there, and you can always take that with you if you don't have a Bible. Uh, But this morning, guys, uh, we are going to begin an adventure for the rest of our summer uh, through Genesis chapters 12 through 36, and I'm really excited about this. We're going to be exploring uh, the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, we've actually, every year, um, I gather different guys together, and we do uh, something I just call a preaching cohort, and this year, there ended up being about nine to ten of us who stuck it out, and uh, we went through um, a whole host of different things throughout the entire year. And our passages that we studied was the passages for this summer, Genesis. And so I'm excited that uh, this summer you'll be hearing a few different voices beyond my own, especially in Davies and Jeremy's. Uh, they'll be delivering you sermons from Genesis uh, here in two weeks. Um, our very own David Kozlicki will be bringing to you a passage here from Genesis chapter 13, and so um, 14. So I'll be excited for that. Um, But we're going to be going through this section of scripture uh, because it's so foundational to our understanding of our Christian faith. Uh, God is consistently referred to by himself and by his people throughout the Bible as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even in the New Testament, um, uh, this is how God is identified sometimes. Peter, in his famous sermon he gives in Solomon's portico in the book of Acts, he refers to God in this way, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so I think it's really significant, and it really um, strengthens our understanding of God and the gospel and how we are to live. When we look at this section of Scripture and we see how God is specifically acting with these families, throughout this point in time. It's gonna teach us so much. And it's Genesis 12 this morning that I think we begin to see God's dream and God's plan for the world, and you and I actually discover in Genesis chapter 12 our purpose in life, one of our primary purposes in life. We see that God calls you to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the world. That's what you see here in Genesis chapter 12. It not only launches you out into the rest of the book of Genesis, this, these few verses right here, it launches us out into the rest of Scripture, which as Christians, we firmly believe that this Bible isn't just a book that we study, like it's some you know, just a piece of literature, but this, this book that you hold in your hands, it's actually telling you what's happening in life. So this, these few verses here in Genesis are actually launching us out into our understanding of life and what God is doing in the world, and we see that God calls you to bless you so you'll be a blessing to the world. So in these three verses, we see the cost of God's call. We see the promise of God's call, and we see the purpose of his call, all in these three significant verses. First, the cost of God's call. In verse one, it says, Now the Lord, Yahweh, said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So, we see here God just shows up in this guy, Abram's life. I might just refer to him as Abraham. His name is going to be changed. Many of you know that. Uh, But he shows up in Abraham's life, and he speaks, and he he asks Abram to do something. He commands him to do something. What does he say? He commands him to do one thing. It's really simple. He says, leave. He says, go. Go where? Well, he actually uh, didn't even know. He wasn't even told. All Abraham is told is to leave and to go, and he is assured that eventually God will show him where he is supposed to end up. That's all he's told. I mean, just just think about this for a moment, okay? Um, If I just went up to you after our gathering and I said to you, hey, David, all right, um, I want you to pack everything up today and leave, go. And you're like, where am I going? Bellingham? And I just say, no, just start heading east. I'll let you know right? If I just said that to you, okay, uh, you would probably, and I hope actually would say no, right? If you were to say, sure, Josh, whatever, that would, we need to reevaluate our relationship. I have way too much authority in your life or something. You're just going to trust me in that way, okay? But, but if, if you said yes, and if you did that, what would you be exercising in that moment? You, you'd be exercising an extraordinary amount of faith, right? But faith in what? Faith in me, you're exercising faith in me that I'm trustworthy, that I'm not gonna fail you. That whatever it is that I told you to do, you know that I, that's not gonna lead to your destruction. But somehow there's some plan that you don't know the future in, but I, I'm, I'm trustworthy, you're gonna exercise faith. And we, we kinda know this about life. Hebrews 11, 1 gives us the definition of faith, if you've read that book. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, it's the convictions, things not seen. This is exactly what we see here happening and being asked of Abram. He's being asked to be assured of things that he's hoping for. He's to be convicted or to be certain, if you will, about things that he can't see, namely his future. He can't see it. He's he's told to exercise faith, and so it makes all the sense in the world that just seven verses after that verse in the book of Hebrews, his name comes up again, and this will be on the screen. It says about this point in Genesis, it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he is going. He just hears the words go, leave, and he goes. That's faith. But here's the thing, I think you and I as as westerners, we read these verses and we think that's amazing. We think, wow, he didn't know the next step. Cuz for us, we want to know every outcome of our lives, often before we'll take the step. Or at least we want to know the possible outcomes so that we can anticipate what might happen to us and how we can pivot. And so, for us, just to like go out not knowing the future seems very extraordinary to us. But that's not the crux or the the weight of the cost that's happening here in Abram's life. Because quite honestly, in Abraham's day, a man like Abraham, he would be identified as a member of his father's household. And when the father of that household died, his heir, which would have been Abram, would assume that title and its responsibilities. So, if you look just one verse prior to this, the last verse of chapter 11, uh, it says, the days of Terah were 205 years old, and Terah died in Haran, right? So, we see Terah, who is Abram's dad, he has died. And then Abram, who's the heir now to this family, has assumed his title. He's assumed all these responsibilities being the head or the leader of this family, Not only that, in the ancient world, a person or a man especially, they were identified with their ancestral lands and their property. So, this is what's going on. By him leaving his father's household, Abram was giving up his inheritance, he was giving up his right to his own family's property. And this is so significant. It's hard for us actually to comprehend this because we don't function societally in this way. But land and family and inheritance, they were the most significant elements of this society. For farmers or herdsmen, land was their livelihood. If you lived in a city, right, a city dweller, the land represented their political identity. Having kids, that represented your future. And so, when Abram gave up his place in his father's household, he was forfeiting his security. He was actually putting his survival, he was putting his identity, his future, and his security into the hands of God. That's what he was doing. He was just putting it all in God's hands. Do do, do you see what else is happening here, though? Because Abram, guys, he's not a Christian, right? He's not even an Israelite, They did not even exist yet. Abram's being called out of a pagan land. He he's a guy who worships other gods, actually. In fact, the town he's living in is is a part of this nation with a part of the nation of Babylon, where the, the, the place they lived, the families there, it was a very prominent place because they had this temple where they would worship the moon god whose name was Sin. It's kind of ironic, right? They worshiped this god named Sin, the moon god, right? This was a god who people attributed to fertility. Meaning that the so-called God could somehow allow people or not allow people to get pregnant, which again meant your future was at stake. And This would have been significant for Abram because we are told in the verses right before this that Abram's 75 years old and he was to, he's married to this lady Sarai who was told plainly in verse 30 of chapter 11 that she was barren and she could have no kids. So I'm guessing they were going to this temple quite often. It would make the most sense. But this is a nation, guys, that doesn't even fear God or know God, but instead this nation did horrific things actually to appease their gods. Things like human sacrifice, just to begin to like touch the surface of the depravity, okay? This is his identity. This is like his life, his culture. He's not not only being called to forfeit his security, do you see this? He's being called out of darkness. He's being asked to give up everything, his survival, his future, his security, but more than anything, guys, he's being asked to change his God. That's what's happening here in Abram's life. He's being asked to change his God, to move from worshiping many gods to just worshiping the living God. And I think here's where our story and Abraham's story is not all that different. It's costly for you and I to worship the living God. Yes, it's by grace, but it's costly, because we see Jesus say in the New Testament, if anyone wants to follow me, choose the way to know God, right? If anyone wants to follow me, what do they have to do? They have to deny themselves. They have to take up their cross, meaning die, right, to themselves and follow him. Jesus also said in Matthew ten thirty-seven, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. These are the words from Jesus. See, God is calling us, He's calling you, if you're a Christian especially this morning, He's calling you out of your old life into a new life, but that comes with a cost. We leave behind the things that we find our security in, things that we cling to for survival, things that we cling to as our identity, and we forfeit whatever previous plans that we had about our future. The, the call to follow Jesus is a costly one, but it's a joyful one if you look at people who do it. I mean, I, I just, this week I was thinking of people like uh, Melissa Jenkins, who's in Togo right now. And just a little over a year ago, she was sitting in one of our worship gatherings and, and listening to my wife, sister, and brother-in-law um, share about their life in Papua New Guinea, and God began to plant a little seed in her heart. At that point, it was just a seed that said go. and She had no idea what that meant. But that eventually led her to realize that there was this organization in Togo that she can go and serve and doing medical missions. And now she's there and she's given up a whole lot. She's given up a whole lot, but she's experiencing so much. Honestly, I think of uh, Jeremy who was up here earlier and his whole family, how just a, like a year and a half ago, two years ago, they begin to hear God say go, go to Oregon. Well, what does that mean? They don't know, they just go. And they came, they gave up so much, security, future, survival, all these things, but they say it's worthy, God's worthy of it. And so I think it just begs the question out of us this morning, Is one that I was asking myself this week, is God calling you into something right now that you're just kind of pushing back on a little bit, that you're ignoring, it might seem too difficult, it might seem way too costly in your life? It would mean that you would lose some security, maybe some sense of survival. It mean that you might even forfeit your future, that you've been dreaming of your whole life. But do you sense God, God calling you into something this morning? I think we often want God to make everything clear, every outcome obvious to us. We want God to provide something before we take a step, and it could be that God is just calling you into something and all he's giving you in this moment is go, Leave. I'm convinced that honestly, most of the Christian life, I say this to a lot of people, it's kind of like following a trail of breadcrumbs. Now, I also realize that probably none of us in this room have ever followed a trail of breadcrumbs, right? I mean, who's ever really done that, okay? If you do that, you need to find GPS or something, right? There's other tools we can use now. But nonetheless, we get the idea of a trail of breadcrumbs, right? Like, I don't know where I'm going, I'm just looking for the next piece of bread. In a sense, that's how the Christian life often works, that's how life works especially life with God. You follow the next crumb. So whether it's stepping out and forsaking all and following Jesus, or whether you are already now following Jesus and you sense God's calling you to a city or a ministry or a vocation or just a simple act of generosity or maybe even an unengaged people group, what do you need in order to exercise that faith? What's it gonna take for you to step out? Well, it'll probably take the confidence that Abram had in what God says to him next. In verse two, he makes this great promise to him this great promise, and it might be costly, but this call is is a call of blessing. See, look in verse 2. It says, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, all Abraham has to do is go. See, that's all is asked of him, is to go. But look at all that God does. There's like a huge contrast in this passage, it's insane, really. All Abraham has to do is go, and if I've counted right, God makes says eight things that he's gonna do, and he asks Abraham to do one. He's like, I'll do eight, you do one. He's gotta go, okay? And you see these statements of I will, there's eight of them, okay? What's he saying? I will show you, verse one, I will make of you a great nation, verse 2. I will bless you and make your name great, verse 2. I will bless those who bless you, verse 3. I will curse those who dishonor you, verse 3. Abram, guys, he's being called to leave his security, his identity, his future, but God is promising him that he's going to replace all of those things with far more significant things. He promises that he will bless Abram. Now, I know this word is, like, really broad and intangible to us in many ways. Uh, we, we use it all the time, right? We're not people, if you're a Christian, like, we feel like it's wrong to say, I, I'm so lucky, right? We know that it's, we don't, like, say, oh, I'm just so lucky. We go, I'm blessed, right? We're always blessed. We're always talking about this word in this way, right? But what does it really mean to, to, to bless or to, to be blessed or to, to be a blessing? Because that's the word that's over over just over and over again being said here in this passage, and it's actually the Hebrew word barak or baraka, blessing, right? So I, I told Baraka Cook last night I got to study her name all week. It probably creeped her out. But nonetheless, okay, um, this is what this word is, and it's essentially conveying spiritual and physical enrichment. And within these Genesis narratives, the gift of fertility is very much a part of this. That's what's happening here when this word is being used. So, God is promising Abram blessing, and this blessing is most tangibly expressed and experienced by God giving Abraham fame and fertility fame and fertility, and material things as well. But the material blessings that you'll notice in Genesis, they're always standing out as a witness to the watching world around Abraham, that the God of Abraham is not just one God amongst many gods, but when people see Abram and his heritage blessed in material ways, it always stands as a witness to the watching world that God is the true God. He's not just a God, He's the true God. And so this idea of, of God blessing Abraham is way more significant than just Abraham being taken care of. It affects everybody. Guys, God is changing the way the world works in this verse. This will be on the screen, but um, the Old Testament um, commentator and scholar John Selhammer, he's no longer with us, he said this. He said, Abraham is represented here as a new Adam, his seed as a second Adam, a new humanity. Those who bless him, God will bless. Those who curse him, God will curse. The way of life and blessing, which was once marked by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, and then by the ark, referring to Noah that saved him and his family, it's now marked by identification with Abram and his seed. He's basically saying, I'm going to make Abram great. How people treat you, if people tie themselves to you or not, that's going to affect them. It's going to affect the world. If they're tied to you, they're going to be blessed because I've blessed you. If they turn on you, then they'll be cursed because I'm, I'm with you, right? To put it in, in modern-day terms, uh, in basketball terms especially, tonight is game two of the NBA Finals, Okay? Uh, And tonight is uh, another representation of LeBron James. This is his eighth consecutive championship game, right? Eight consecutive NBA Finals, right? This is a lot if you don't know nothing about basketball, okay, but it's become very apparent to the watching world that if you want to get to the championship game, what would be really wise for you is to tie yourself to LeBron James because it's probably likely that he's gonna get to the championship again. So if you want to get in that game, you got to try your best to get on LeBron's team. And if you're not on his team, playing basketball against the Cleveland Cavaliers this year might be a curse to you. Why? Because you're not on LeBron's team, okay? Like, he's that great. His legend is growing. People are now saying he's the greatest of all time. I'm not here to debate that with you, okay? But nonetheless, the concept is the same. If you tie yourself to LeBron, there's a blessing that might come with that. If you don't, there's a curse that might come with that. And we're just talking about LeBron James in the game of basketball, right? When it comes to the game of life, God is saying, I am going to raise you up, Abram. I'm going to make your name great. People who tie themselves to you will be blessed. Now, the bummer news, if you're thinking way too logically this morning, Abraham's dead. So, how are you and I going to tie ourselves to Abraham? Is there no way to be blessed by God. Well, not at all, because God is raising up Abraham, not that he would live forever and be the person that we all hope in. The promises here is to come from Abraham, it's to come from his seed. This is why it says that you and I am and can be blessed this morning. If you look in your Bibles, this will be on the screen, Genesis or Galatians chapter 3, it brings us to light. It says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is saying to you and me this morning, you guys, that you and I can be blessed if you have faith in the seed of Abraham, Jesus. Jesus. If you tie yourself to Jesus, if you take His name upon your life, blessing comes from that. Now this is the actual crux of the blessing. It's the whole idea of the name, because He says, I will make your name great which this pledges that Abraham's influence will be widespread even across generations. And I think this should stand out to us if you had read chapter 11 before we dove into this this morning, because what's happening in chapter 11? It's a direct contrast to Abraham's name being made great. Look with me in 11 verses one. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, in chapter 11, guys, people, they're not following God. They aren't living to bring glory to God, they aren't living into God's design for creation, they are instead going their own way and they are stating through their words and their actions that they don't need God. And in not needing God, what do they say? They say, let us make a name for ourselves. A name that would extend and echo throughout generations that people would remember our name. May the world hear of that, may history know of us. And guys, this is honestly, in our lives, this is the greatest obstacle for us following Christ, for us receiving the blessing. It's our name. So be on the screen, the great philosopher and theologian, McLemore, once wrote, I heard you die twice, once when they bury you in the grave, and the second time is the last time somebody mentions your name. It's kind of true, isn't it? That's like Tower of Babel stuff right there. When people stop uttering our names, the greatness of us, that's when you really die. That's what they're after in Genesis chapter 11. That's what people are concerned about. But in verse 2 of 12, we see this stark contrast. God doesn't say, Abraham, no, you're going to be the one. You're going to do awesome. He says, no, I will make your name great. You won't make it great. I will make it great. Abraham, I'm calling you out of a culture that is seeking to make a name for themselves. And when you follow me by faith, you will no longer have to make a name for yourself. Instead, you can trust that I will make your name great. I think if we were being honest this morning, we might, we might, not, we might not say it outright or to each other. We'd probably barely journal it. Or even journalers, as long as no one would ever read it. But if we were sober enough and honest enough to confess it, I think we're more like Macklemore. We're Genesis 11 kind of people. We're trying to build a tower in Shinar, metaphorically. We're striving, we're trying to make a name for ourselves, we're trying to create blessing. And guys, this is the greatest obstacle we have in following Christ and we have the temptation and the pressure of that more available to us than ever. We have physical platforms and digital platforms where we have the opportunities to try to make our names known, hopefully in our minds for generations, to increase platforms. But we see here that the call from God on Abraham's life is to cease living to promote himself, and in turn, let God promote him. And so when Abram hears the call from God, he drops out of the name-making business. And he realizes that's God's business. See, if we're being honest with ourselves this morning, we find ourselves in chapter 11, building a tower like everybody else in our culture, trying to make a name for ourselves, and God is calling us into a life of blessing, but the blessing means that we don't make a name for ourselves, but we let God give us a new name. This is where you and I part ways with Abram because God isn't promising you to make your name great. He's building up Abram and the seed of Abram, which ultimately leads us to Jesus and where we get his new name. This is where we part ways, because you and I as Christians, guys, we are, we are promised that when we come to Christ, when we accept the call, we die to ourselves and we embrace the gospel. When that happens to us, we are given the name that is above every name. It's the name that echoes and reverberates throughout history. It's the name of Jesus. We see that Jesus was the offspring or the seed that was to come from Abraham and Jesus came and he submitted his life to obscurity for 30 years and he lived in such a way where he entrusted his father's will every day and in following the voice of his father he didn't make a name for himself. I didn't misspeak when I said that. He didn't make a name for himself because Philippians two tells us that Jesus was given the name. He was given the name. He was given the name above every name. And when we leave behind our old name and we cease trying to make our name great, God gives us a new name. It's the name of Jesus. It's the blessing of life. Because when you get the name of Jesus, Ephesians tells you, you've been blessed with every blessing. With every blessing. You have everything. See, the cost to respond to God's call is so great to us, because we are stuck in chapter 11. God's calling you into chapter 12, and He's giving you a new name, is that name significant to you? Uh, graduation is upon us. Congratulations to some of you. Uh, some of you are going to walk in a couple of weeks. You're going to get a diploma. And forever, you're going to have attached to your name, uh, graduate. Right? Bat- you have a bachelor's degree or something. Okay? Bachelor of Science or something. Right? You're going to have like a title, a status. Before then, you were a high school graduate, correct? Some of you, not yet. Hopefully you'll get there, right? Okay, keep going. But someday when you graduate from high school, you walk. And it's amazing, right? I'm a high school graduate. But then you get a bachelor's degree. I'm a college graduate. If you pursue a master's, you get your master's degree, you're now a master, right? No one says that, but you could say that, okay? You go out, you get your PhD, you get your doctorate. That'd be amazing, right? If that was you, Dr. Brot, could you imagine that? That'd be incredible. But if you were Dr. Brot, what's going to happen? When someone goes, what is your education level? You're not going to go, well, I graduated from Tigard High. You're not going to do that. You're not going to start there, will you? <laughs> You're not going to go, you know, I got my bachelor's at Oregon State. No, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the top. I got my PhD. I'm Dr. Brot. That's where you go. That's the weightiest title. It's the weightiest name that you have attached to your identity, right? See, when you are given the name of Jesus, when you really understand what you have, the blessing of that, that becomes the highest status you could ever have, and you know that, and you feel the blessing of that every day of your life. But then that changes your purpose. That's the last thing you see. It changes your purpose. You see the purpose of God's call in verse three. God blesses Abraham and it's attached to a purpose and the purpose is given in both verses two and verse three. In verse two we see the second thing that God asked Abraham to do, it's what? Be a blessing. Why does God say he's gonna bless Abraham? He says, I will bless you, I will make your name great. Why, so that others will think you're awesome, and envy you, wanna be like you, Why, Abraham? So that you're comfortable in life and you have way fewer struggles and hardships than anybody else. That's why I want to bless you. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can get through life with ease, so so that you'll just be happy and you'll enjoy all your wealth. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. No, I will bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Why? Purpose clause. So that you will be a blessing. Verse 3 comes in. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the purpose of this whole thing. God calls Abraham out by faith. He makes this promise to him. Why? So he would bless all the families of the earth. Guys, this is, even, even though we're fresh into the pages of Genesis, uh, I'm only on page nine in my Bible, okay? This isn't the first time that this theme of blessing and purposes come up. Right? This theme of blessing first appears in Genesis 1, 28. It's important. It'll be on the screen. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue the earth, have dominion over the the sea, birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we see that God desires to bless his creation, but in that blessing, there is a purpose. There's a responsibility given to humanity. But then if you go, the same theme is brought up again in Genesis chapter nine, verse one. After the flood, God blessed Noah, right? So Noah's blessed and his sons. And he said to them, what? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. This is being, happening here again in Genesis 12. But what happened after Noah, before Genesis 12? You see people rejecting God's authority. They don't want this purpose. In the land of Shinar, the people sought to make a name for themselves. They build a tower to reach the heavens in order to what? What did they say in Genesis chapter 11? In order to not be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. That's what it says. So, this was an act of disobedience from God. These people are saying, we don't want to do what your purpose is, God. And this is, then this comes with some catastrophic judgment because what does God do in Genesis 11? It says, God confuses their language and does what? He says, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it for you. He disperses them over the face of the earth. This is so significant, you guys, because the result of this judgment from God was the creation of approximately 70 distinct people groups. That's what happened. There's 70 new families on the earth. God blessed Abraham then in 12 so that he would be a blessing to the world, to be a conduit of God's blessing to those people from chapters 10 and 11. God's judging them then makes a path to save them through Abraham. Abraham. God judges them and then sends Abraham out to save them. And so this is extended in the life of you and me this morning. If you and I have wrapped and tied ourselves to Jesus who's the offspring of Abraham, we are called this morning then into the same purpose, the same responsibility that was laid out for Adam and Eve and for Noah and picked up here again in Abraham that was finally being accomplished. Was in greater fullness through the life of Jesus when he came and lived and died and ascended and then sent the Spirit into our lives and blessed you. We are blessed to be a blessing. And the nature and extension of that blessing is intended to land into the lives of other people. God didn't just save you so that you wouldn't spend eternity apart from him, he saved you to be a conduit of blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Do you guys see this? Do you feel that? See, the promises of God create your purpose in life. You have a purpose. You walked into this room with a purpose. You don't have to try to find it. You're not out to try to discover it this morning. You don't have to create it. It's given to you. If you've tied yourself to Jesus by faith, you have the greatest purpose in the world. You've been blessed not to be a holding tank of that blessing, but to be a conduit of that blessing. Hopefully, this sounds really beautiful to you. I hope. But, guys, I, honestly, when you get into the trenches of what this means, it's going to be really hard. Because Abram was just called out of, of a dark culture. He was plucked out to be sent back in as a blessing to those same people. This is going to be hard because this practically means that our lives are meant to be a blessing to people who are very broken. People who don't look like you. People who don't talk like you. People who don't value time in the way that you do. They'll just show up whenever they want right? Not exactly on the hour. Bothers you, right? He's calling you in to love people and bless people who don't eat like you do or have fun in the same hobbies in the way that you do. They don't relax like you do. They don't share your values in the same way. They don't have the same worldview as you. I think this sounds good to us until we get into the trenches of it. Last night, my wife asked me to ask our seven-year-old daughter what she wants to be when she grows up. I was like, sure, I'll ask her. Uh, she always tells me a ballerina, so I'm, accept, you know, I'm anticipating this answer. I go, Eden, what do you want to be when she grows up? I go, I want to buy a house. It's really big. I was like, figured, okay, go ahead. And she's like, and I want to fill it with homeless people. And I was like, whoa, not expecting that. That's amazing, right? That's incredible. I'm like, yeah, go for it, you know? But at the same time, that sounds great to her now. Oh, I'll just build a huge house, fill it with homeless people. But was, You're going to live in the house? Yeah, totally. Right? She's going to experience that sounds better than it feels. If she were really to live into that someday, okay? We all know this. To be blessed, to be a blessing, it comes at a cost. It's not very comfortable very often. It sounds good to her now, but if she plays it out, she's gonna experience it. it's gonna be hard. But you and I, guys, this is, this is the crux, this is really the point of, of Scripture that we see launching you out from Genesis 12 onward, and it lands in your life this morning. The cost to follow God might be great, but it's worth it, It's so worth it. God has blessed you with every blessing in Christ, but He's blessed you for a purpose. That's that you would be a blessing, that you would take everything you have now, the gospel you've heard, that you would give it to others, that, that you would take your, your hospitality that you have available to you, and even if it's in your apartment, and make that available to others that you would take your car or your finances or your skills or your interests or your passions and use those to be a blessing to other people. Guys, the the Christian life is is an unselfish life because that's the design of it. It's, It's a life of great purpose, though, and it's your purpose this morning if you've tied yourself to the name of Jesus. God calls you to bless you so that you'll be a blessing to the world. Father, I do pray this morning that we wouldn't just think of this as a nice idea. But Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see this as the greatest purpose we have in our lives. And God, I know, even in my life, when I actually uh, respond to this call and live it out, it is the most fulfilling life. God, I pray that we would would see all that we have, especially all that we have in you, Lord Jesus, and that we would take those things and bless others with them. How would you you move us, Lord, to see even in this moment of response, the incredible things that Jesus did for us, all the ways that he used his wealth, his position to bless us, God. I pray that you would remind us of him right now in such a profound way that would soften our hearts and reshape our purpose in this world. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen.